0: Welcome to 222 Paranormal Podcast with your raspy voiced host Joe and Jen. Hello,
1: everybody. Welcome what's, back to the show.
0: What's happening?
1: Just same old, same old. Getting closer to spooky time. Yes, I'm October really excited about
0: that. is packed.
1: Yes, our October is booked. We've got <laughs> speaking engagements. We've got paranormal investigations. We've got conventions. We've got. Um, uh, I'm doing a class. Joe's doing a, a on, speaking in a class, ghost hunting class. Yeah,
0: it's on um, doing photos during investigation. It Ooh. actually teaches you how and why you get orbs, basically.
1: Interesting. Uh, let's see, what do I have? Um, I have a spooky sale. Yeah. In Holland, Ohio. If anybody is out that way, it's just outside of Toledo. It's not far.
0: Yeah, check on our Facebook page. I've been yeah. posting a lot about that. Yes, yes, yes.
1: yes. And joining us today, uh, I'll just give you guys a rundown of our wonderful guest. I'm so excited to talk to him. Floyd Wills has a bachelor's degree in human development and holds certifications in hypnotherapy and neurolinguistic psychology. His investigations into sacred sites and ancient civilizations and out-of-place artifacts has led him across the globe. He currently lives in Washington State. And welcome to the show, author Floyd Wills, who is the author of The Red-Haired Giants of Lovelock Cave and Other Ancient Mysteries. Welcome to the show, Floyd.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd like to thank you for having me on and uh, thanks to your audience for tuning in. I think we're going to have a very uh, fun and interesting conversation on giants and perhaps other things as well. Yeah. Uh,
1: You you know, this is just right up my brother's alley. Mm -hmm. He... We have had many shows about this topic. We've even just had discussions and and uh, debates along the way. You know, this it's such a fascinating topic, and it is. Most of the people don't know about this.
0: <laughs> it's one of those topics that you tell people, yeah, we talk about giants, and everybody thinks of like the twenty three foot giants and all that, and they see the photos of these giant, literally giant skulls and that and. It's, it's Really, not like that, but looking into your book, which is so interesting because you cover so many different aspects about yeah. this. Let's talk about your book to start off with and you know that your different ideas and that of the giants.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. There's a, a lot of people that uh, don't know about this subject, and there's a lot of people that um, will go online and they'll see these photoshopped images mm-hmm. of these giant skulls and. You know giant bones and and a lot of that's really misleading yeah and uh, so there's a lot of um confusion around the the subject but for my book one of the central stories has to do with the red-haired giants of lovelock cave and the lovelock cave is located in nevada and i was really attracted to this particular story of giants just because there is uh, a lot of documentation. There are are archaeological records. There are artifacts that came out of the cave that you can still see to this day. Um, And also there are photographs of alleged skulls that came out of Lovelock Cave, some of them very anomalous, very large. Uh, One of them I have featured in my book is an enormous skull that has what appears to be a a double row of teeth on the upper row. And we can get into that subject as far as uh, some of these giants having uh, double rows of teeth. Mm -hmm. So I was fascinated with that particular story. And so that's what I really wanted to dig into. And I actually had some communication with the, an anthropologist there in Nevada who is very open-minded on the subjects of the giants of, uh, Lovelock cave and he provided with me with some information which I include in the book uh, There's actually a dialogue that I had with him He sent me a photograph of a Thule sandal that came out of the cave and Thule is like a water plant and they uh, These peoples that lived in the in the cave. They would make various things out of them a basketry uh, sandals um, You know a number of different uh, items and he sent me this Thule sandal that came out of the cave and I did the measurements on it. He actually sent me a picture of it, and it was on a uh, Sasqu- uh, Sasquatch footprint okay. uh, in compa- size comparison. Mm-hmm. And once I did the calculations, it came out to a shoe size of about twenty-nine.
1: Oh my goodness, that's Shaq O'Neal size.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's way bigger. Yeah. I was looking at all the <laughs> records for the biggest feet. I was looking up all these, you know, professional basketball player mm-hmm. shoe sizes, and and nothing's. You know, nothing's like that. Nothing's Mm -hmm. like a 29 uh, shoe size. So I I became very fascinated with uh, this whole subject of the red-haired Giants of Lovelock Cave. And so I started looking into that, starting with the Paiute, the northern Paiute oral tradition of these giants. And they have a long oral history of these giants that live there. And they 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 called them various names. One of them was called Satika which means Tule eaters. They would eat mm. these water plants in that area. There used to be a big lake and there was a lot of these uh, water plants and um, they would make boats and, and, and fish. And, and also too, they were, they were very violent and they would attack the surrounding tribes and, and they would, they would eat their victims. They were, mm-hmm. they were cannibals. And so the Paiutes became tired of being victims of these red haired giants and they allied with the other local tribes And they waged war on these giants, which lasted for about three years. And finally, the the battle culminated at the Lovelock cave, where the Paiute cornered the last of the red-haired giants into the cave and they threw brush in front of the cave and they gave the giants an ultimatum. They said, you know, why don't you stop doing what you're doing and live like men? And there was no response that 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 came out of the cave. And so they lit flaming arrows and they uh, lit the brush on fire and burnt the giants to death.
0: Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Do you think that they spoke the same language?
2: I'm not sure. It's very possible that mm-hmm. they they might not have even spoke the same language because they were very different yeah. than the, mm-hmm. than the local tribes and that uh, the other tribes described them as being giant and mm-hmm. violent uh cannibals and they had reddish hair. Yeah. And I, I don't know of any Native American tribes that the people have red hair.
0: No. And,
2: and in fact, one of the accounts was that they had, they were white skinned mm-hmm. and they had long, long faces. Long hmm. faces. Long,
0: as in, do you think, I, and we'll get into more of this more later, but do you think the skulls had anything to do with the long faces?
2: I think so. Okay. I think so. And yeah. the, some of the photographs that I have in my book uh, of a particular skull, it's a massive skull with a large jawbone. And yes, I, yeah. I think it has to do with the skull shape.
0: Yeah, because a lot of the descriptions of the giants, they always say that the, the jawbone itself protrudes out, and which mm-hmm. will cause it to be like an elongated face.
2: Mm-hmm. Ab- absolutely. And a lot of the old newspaper accounts I was going through when I was researching my book, uh, a lot of descriptions in North America of these giant skeletons, uh, uh, many of them were described as having the massive jawbones mm-hmm. uh, protruding brow ridges. Um, you know, almost it sounded, uh, some of the skulls sounded like they were elongated. They were, mm-hmm. you know, long, like like mm-hmm. you had mentioned. So, yeah, it definitely had a different uh, skull shape. In some of the descriptions, it almost sounded uh, Neanderthal-like. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: What time frame would this war between the the natives and the red-haired giants, are we talking about?
2: Well, I think as far as time frame goes, I know in the in the northern Paiute tradition, uh, it goes that that tale of the red-haired giant goes back hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years. I know uh, the archaeological records show that the Lovelock Cave had been inhabited by one group or another for thousands of years, Mm -hmm. going back literally thousands of years.
1: The, the cave, is that accessible now or is it closed?
2: It is accessible. Nope. It is accessible to the public. It okay. is accessible to the public. And inside the cave, um, there's areas that's uh, on, the, on the interior of the cave that look blackened as mm-hmm. if there had been a fire mm-hmm. there, a massive fire there at one time. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Is there any kind of writing that they found in the caves?
2: I don't recall as far as writing okay. on the cave walls. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the, the first excavation was done in uh, 1912. Okay. Now, the, the discovery of, the, of these alleged giants and other thousands of artifacts happened in 1911. There were two guano miners. Mm-hmm. Uh, one mm-hmm. of them was named John Reed. And they were in there and they were mining bat guano, which if people don't know what that is, it's bat dung. And that's used in fertilizer. And I believe at one time it was actually used in the making of explosives. Oh, And these two, yeah, these two miners were in the cave. And uh, then they came, ac- as they were mining, they came across uh, artifacts and, and some of these uh, skeletal remains. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they reported it to the local university and an official excavation was started in 1912. But what gets really interesting is one of the initial discoverers, John Reed, he had heard about Lovelock Cave when he was 15 years old. So he was friends with um, a Native American by the name of Natchez, who was the son of Chief Winnemucca, a very prominent uh, uh, Paiute chief in that area. And his parents lived on a farm. John's parents lived on a farm and some of their horses got away. And so John Reed and his friends went to retrieve these horses, which it, it was a, a, few, a few day event before they can track these horses down. But in the process, they camped out in front of Lovelock Cave and John didn't even know anything about the cave. And it, it, there was a, ra- a rainstorm and John said, well, why don't we just go in that cave and seek shelter? And his friend Natchez says, no we're not going in that cave there are evil spirits here oh. and then he told john this tale about the red-haired giants and how you know there was a race of these red-haired giants that cannibalized his ancestors and then they were finally killed and he even took him to the entrance of the cave and there were still uh, projectile points that were embedded in the crevices around oh, wow. the front entrance of the cave to show that there was some evidence that there were arrows actually shot okay in that, in that direction. So John knew about the, knew about the story. And it's, uh, it's rather ironic that as an adult, he ended back up over at the cave and then made the discovery of the, these alleged giants, along with thousands of artifacts that came out of the cave. Hmm.
1: What type of artifacts would, would they be finding? You you mentioned a sandal, but was there arrowheads?
2: Clothing? Yeah, there was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were thousands of artifacts uh, that came out of the cave. There were uh, various types of basketry. There were duck decoys that oh. were made from tule that are exhibited, and you can still see them at the Nevada State Museum. Hmm. In fact, I remember uh, when I was researching for the book, I read one of the anthropologist articles on these duck decoys, and he, in his article, Jean Hatori is one of the uh, head anthropologists. Of, of the Nevada State Museum. And he said that the amount of work and detail was so exquisite in these duck decoys that uh, it was far beyond what would even be necessary to to make such an item. Hmm. So they were very skilled. Whoever lived in this cave, they had hmm. some very good um, tool making skills. There was um, basketry, there was the uh, various uh, uh, Tule sandals, there were uh, stone effigies that came out of there, mm-hmm. um, like little stone faces that you can still see that are at the Nevada State Museum. Um, just a number of different, uh, different tools and items. And near the cave was found a giant uh, pestle, a grinding stone, and oh. it was huge, between 35 and 45 pounds which is way, way larger and way heavier than a normal normal pestle.
0: And that's the part that you actually hold to do the grinding in the bowl? Or is that that's the, the part itself? you hold. Okay. No, okay.
2: Although uh, that's the that's the that that's the part that you hold. So you could imagine how strong of an, an individual yeah. mm-hmm. had to be to have a thirty-five to forty-five pound stone to be using, you know, to to be grinding whatever it was they were they were grinding. It's yeah. much. It's it's way larger than a normal a normal, uh, a normal um, pestle. Hmm.
0: So how big is this cave? I mean, we talk about people living in. It. How big was it or is the special yeah, cave?
2: yeah it's a it's a it's a rather large cave and so according to archaeological records roughly 60 uh, skeletons came out of the cave and there's been you know a dispute exactly how many came out of the cave and and then there's the question is you know did the red-haired giants was that their only place that they lived or did they live all over in that area and that was kind of the last kind of the last place that they retreated to mm-hmm. when they were uh, when they were killed. So yeah. it is a it is a huge cave. Yeah. And I remember earlier you asked me if they found any writing or anything yeah. like that. They didn't. But what was found uh, was a giant handprint on the cave wall, <sighs> and the handprint is probably three times the size of a of a normal handprint. Hmm.
0: That's interesting.
2: And I know that um, you know some of the native tribes they would when they would uh, decorate the the cave walls they would. Some of the hunters would 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 paint on their hand and then they would place their their hand uh, on the wall and it oh, would okay. leave that imprint. Yeah. So the quest. Yeah. It gets really interesting because there was a few researchers are the ones that that noticed that found that giant hand. And I have a picture of it in my book and they're holding up a giant Bowie knife next to the the handprint to kind of give you an idea of scale. Mm-hmm. And uh, the handprint obviously is much larger than a than a normal size hand.
0: Yeah,
1: I was thinking too. Just kind of random thought that you know a lot of these tribes kind of moved to follow the food source. So mm-hmm. it could be possible that they weren't you know stationary in one place because that was kind right. of a thing. As you know, the natives would follow the buffalo or the the deer or whatever. Um, You know, they may stay That's in the same area, but mm-hmm. you know, most any type of, you know, even just animals will travel mm-hmm. to follow food sources. And if they're cannib- absolutely,
2: they're cannibals, yeah. they're
1: following you know <laughs> people around
2: too. Right. That's an excellent point. Yeah. If they were a, you know, they were obviously a hunter gatherer society, mm-hmm. so they would they would go where the food sources would be at. And, you know, as far as giants go in most Native American tribes, they in their oral traditions, they Mm -hmm. they talk about giants. So Mm -hmm. it's not just specific to this area in Nevada. It's it's all throughout North America. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, we've had um, reports of them in the 1800s here in Toledo Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. ones that they found downtown Toledo were the ones with the double rows of teeth. And they Mm -hmm. said in in the news article, they did say that the jawbone was so big that they could fit it over another person's head. You know, so they were,
2: that's enormous. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, and yeah, I hear,
2: remember hearing accounts like that in yeah. my research in the newspaper articles, just like you said, of those ma- massive jawbones, And in some cases, a skull was so big, they said that they could easily fit over the, over the top of the average man's yeah. uh, head. Wear it like a helmet. Yes. You
0: know, and then, you know, we hear about native tribes where they built their, um, houses in these caves up way off off the ground and they you know a lot of the people always say well why would they build their houses in such an inhabitable habitable place up Mm -hmm. off the ground well it's because they're trying to keep away from the (laughs) cannibals.
1: true
2: yeah that's that's an excellent point i mean i've heard of places like in utah and arizona don't they call them like the pueblos Mm -hmm. and they would make those structures way up high yeah and they they end up the entrances to them were very small so if they were being attacked they were geographically they were in a very good spot they had the high ground mm-hmm. and they made the entrances very small so you know they, defensively that would be a great mm-hmm. uh, great position for them and it's it's interesting that you bring that up because in my book i talk there's a section in there uh about the anasazi tribe and how in their oral traditions they talk about some of their medicine men who turned to black magic and through the practice of black magic, they opened up portals. Oh. And guess what came out of the po- guess what came out of the portal? <laughs> Wild can you, can you take a guess? <laughs>
0: they were jo- They
2: were giants. Giants sandal
0: wearing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, they were they were cannibals, and mm-hmm. they would uh, they were attacking these tribes, and a and a lot of the tribes fled the areas, and they they fled those those pueblos, and that's why some of the first archaeologists that really studied these pueblos they couldn't figure out because there were supplies. That were left mm-hmm. uh, very valuable supplies, bows, uh, bows, and other tools, and they couldn't figure out. Well, like, why would they? Why would they just pack up and, and leave this very valuable items behind? And in the um, native uh, traditions, it talks about well, they they were fleeing for their lives. They didn't have much time, so they took they took what they could carry and got out of there. Mm.
0: Yeah, being fleet or being chased by these giants, which obviously can move a lot faster because the stride and their, you know, legs are longer bigger, you know, everything. And it's almost like when we have like a flood or something like that, where all of a sudden you're like, we got to go now, Yeah, you know, yes. grab whatever you can and just go. And absolutely, you know, they're fighting for their lives. They, mm-hmm. you know, they know that these, the oral history is all about the cannibalism and stuff. And that's another thing too, is when, the Native Americans would pass on their oil, oil, <laughs> oral, ch- um, traditions. traditions
2: Tradition? Yeah.
0: I got to learn to talk. Yeah. Um, well, happens they,
2: to me all the time. Yeah.
0: But when they put these, um, hand these down, they're not writing them down. And part of right. becoming a chieftain or even a medicine man or whatever, you have to know those oral traditions word. By word and you can't change it, it's not like the yes. the phone game where you, by the end of the time, it gets to someone else, it's different. So, if they're talking about yeah. cannibalistic, red haired, white skinned giants, they're not making mm-hmm. this stuff up, you know. As it's, it's part right. of tradition, you do not make up stuff that's you know, and yeah, it's word for word. So,
2: that's an excellent point, yeah, it's a really excellent point mm-hmm. that you bring up, and it's very true. Uh, yeah, you were in a high status, uh, in the tribe. To be one of those individuals that would re- have to memorize all of these stories that mm-hmm. were passed on, so it's a very important part of their culture. And like you said, it's not something that um, that they would haphazardly change. I mean, it was word of mouth, and you were um, you were instructed in this knowledge, and that's you you passed it on word for word yeah. how you received it. Mm-hmm.
1: No, what would be the physical attributes? Like, were they saying they were completely covered in red hair? Or was it just mm-hmm. like the, you know, normal hair on top of your head?
2: Yeah. There's not a lot of details on that. Mm-hmm. But from what I understand, just the the, the hair on the head. Okay. Um, however, it, it gets into an, you bring up a very interesting point. And in that if, if they had this hair all over their body, I mean then we're getting into stuff like well are we t- are we talking about sasquash mm-hmm. type beings or what are we talking about here yeah. um so very interesting i know um, sarah winnemucca who was the daughter of chief winnemucca that i mentioned earlier a very prominent chief in that area she in her memoirs wrote about the giants about the red-haired giants oh. and she said she even had a dress that she would wear that still had some of the red hair of these giants that were oh. killed Wow.
1: wow, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you think is there any correlation between Vikings and these red haired giants? Because I know there was, you know, findings, archaeological findings of Viking. What do you call them? Uh, the
2: settlements up, settlements up there in Canada and stuff
1: in Minnesota, absolutely, and Ohio.
2: You know, it's it's within the realm of possibility. I think there were a lot of ancient pre Columbian travelers mm-hmm. here um, to North America. So I would not rule that out. However, when I was looking into the background of the Vikings, I didn't, I didn't see many references to cannibalism okay. that the Vikings practiced cannibalism.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that, you know, there could, you know, that that would be out of the realms of possibility that there were Vikings that, that practiced that, but I didn't, didn't find anything on that. Um, any like the artifacts that came out of the cave, there was nothing to me that indicated, Um, that had any kind of any runic inscriptions or any um, stone carvings of Mm -hmm. like, um, of of Odin, you know, one of their gods. So there was nothing archaeologically that really stood out that would indicate that they could have been Vikings. However, I'm, I'm not ruling that out. And the information that I present in my book is not like telling you, okay, this is who they are. This is, this is how it all went down, because we don't know. I give a few different possibilities as to who these giants may be. Mm-hmm. So the Vikings, it could have been the Vikings, but I didn't see a lot of um, evidence to support that.
0: Yeah, and the Vikings are generally not really that tall of people, are they? They were. Were they?
1: Larger than it, most some of them were, Europeans. Are, okay. Yeah.
0: all right.
2: Yes, some of them got to be very, uh, very large. But, you know, when you're talking about going through these old newspaper accounts of giant reports, I mean, some of these skeletal skeletal remains eight feet, nine Mm -hmm. feet, 10 feet. I've even had reports of even much larger. Now, am I saying that all these reports are are absolutely true and accurate? No, but there are so many reports. uh, There's over 1,500, I think, documented newspaper accounts. Going back from the late 1800s or mid 1800s into the 60s or maybe even the 70s, so there's at least 1500 different accounts. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some of those you can say, yeah, maybe there were some, you know, maybe <laughs> m- mismeasurements or maybe there were some exaggerations, and and in a few cases, maybe even a few hoaxes. But really, um, when you have that many accounts, yeah. and when I started to kind of cross-reference one report to the other, I found these really. Uh, subtle commonalities in the descriptions of like the skulls, like protruding brow ridges, massive jaw bones, in uh, in some cases, double rows of teeth, Or extra teeth, and they would and they would reference to in the upper jaw. So they would be real specific of the location of these extra teeth. So I just found enough of these little commonalities that connected a lot of these reports, and to me, that really um, that really uh, lended credibility to a lot of these accounts.
0: Well, and like you said, the hamper on the wall or the Mm -hmm. cave wall. Um, yeah, you see the drawings of the giant hands, the six fingers, six toe hands, Yes, you know, you see those yes. drawings and all that. And, you know, you think about even if I can remember it, there were referenced in the Bible about six fingers and six toes.
2: Hey, you, you are absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. I believe it's in Samuel. I think it's when David and his mighty men were fighting the giants. It referenced one particular giant that had a double row of teeth mm-hmm. and six digits on each mm-hmm. hand. Yeah.
1: Who do you think was here first, the Natives or the Giants? Did I
2: think, yeah, I think the Giants. And I will, oh, go ahead. I was, no, was another, just going to
1: say, like, you know, did the Natives come into their land and that's why they were upset? Yes. Or did the Giants just yes. come because they were a, a, a warring type of, um, I don't know, clan? What would you call yeah. them, a clan or a? species or
2: uh, uh yeah maybe what's uh, the maybe, good word uh, for that <laughs> <laughs> well we don't exactly know and yeah. in my book i talk about the possibility that they could be a whole other species and that's mm-hmm. a fantastic yeah. qu- question by the way it's yeah. a really great question and i believe based on my research that the giants were probably here uh before uh before the native peoples were mm-hmm. because in a lot of the native american traditions that talk about giants they say that giants were in the land when our ancestors oh, came here. Okay. So that even they reference it. They said there were giants in the land when when, when our ancestors were here. And there's an interesting discovery, and I write about it in my book, that happened in the 90s in San Diego. There were there was road work being done and they uh, what was unearthed was a giant mastodon. And so that they had these mm-hmm. mastodon bones and some of them were crushed up and the morrow had been sucked out of the bones. Mm-hmm. And there were actually There were stone cobbles, there were stone tools next to this mastodon, which were used to smash the bones and some intelligent species, um, you know, had to -hmm. have made the tools and they were smart enough to break the bones up. They probably came across a a freshly uh, dead mammoth and they sucked the marrow out, which is a a fantastic source of protein. And the kicker of it is, is when they dated the mastodon bones, the mastodon bones came back to about 130,000 years ago. Oh, right. So we have a 130,000 year old archeological wow. discovery and you have human like tools at the site. Yeah. Wow. So what that, Points to is that there was some intelligent species, and I'm not saying they were they were home, necessarily Homo sapiens mm-hmm. were here much further back than, than what we've been told. The first peoples came here, which you know what they say maybe twenty thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first people crossed the uh, the land bridge mm-hmm. from Siberia to Alaska, and then and then came into North America. Well, we're talking about an archaeological site that that kind of like blows all that out of the water. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's one thing. I uh, now I do know you know about the land bridge and everything, but mm-hmm. I don't really. I don't know how to say it, but I don't really buy into that theory. You know, I know mm-hmm. that they people did travel and that, but yeah. how do we know they weren't here before? I mean, they could. They obviously could have been seafaring. You know, if they're smart yes. enough to build homes and stuff, they, they're smart enough to build a boat. You know, or not. You know, not absolutely not, not like a catamaran or anything like that. But I mean, smart enough to make boats that they knew. Could make it somewhere.
2: You're absolutely right, and there there is evidence that uh, there were ancient peoples here. Uh, Dennis Stanford, ironically, he was from the Smithsonian Institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he recently passed away here uh, a, a few years ago, but he had a theory um, that there were peoples that came here, and they they were ancient peoples, and they did come here by boats, mm-hmm. and they were the culture. They they were the culture that 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 made the. Um, the Clovis points, the project- oh. the, the projectile points. Mm-hmm. Because when we, when we first found those, when we first discovered those in Clovis, New Mexico, um, and that's why they're called Clovis points, um, they were re- very distinctive from the other projectile points here in North America. And archaeologists were saying, okay, uh, these had to have come from um, you know, probably Siberia because the first peoples came from that area. And of course, they would have brought their technology here. So they were hoping that when when Russia opened up, that area opened up for U.S. uh, archaeologists to go there, that they would uh, find a lot more of those Clovis points, and it would verify that, yeah, Mm -hmm. these are the same peoples that came through here. Well, when uh, archaeologists finally were allowed into that area, they didn't find any of those points. They didn't find any of the Clovis points. So they couldn't figure it out. They're like, okay, wait a minute. Here we thought that they would... You know, that these would come from a people that that came across the land bridge. But this is a different technology altogether. Guess where they found those similar points at? Where? Mexico. In Europe. Oh. Oh. Europe. They found like in France and Spain and and different areas, uh, ancient parts of, yeah, ancient uh, cultures over in Europe. Yeah. And so- Dennis Sanford believed that there was people that came over from, from that area and th- and they were intelligent enough to, to construct these boats Yeah, and they brought they brought their technology here to North America. Yeah, because think about how long
0: it would take if they were just migrating. You know, they weren't searching, they were just migrating. How long it would take them right. to go up to the land bridge, over, and then come back down. I mean, it'd be thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And by then, their technology would have changed. Mm -hmm. No. So, yeah, I believe that they did come from the sea. They didn't do the land bridge. I don't
1: know. What's to say that they couldn't have came from the south?
2: Well, You know, up to Mexico,
1: like South America.
0: But there's no connection from France, though, is there?
1: Oh, I don't know.
2: Or, well, there's or... theories. Uh, and I, I'm more along the line, the theories that that, that they came in multiple ways, that it mm. just wasn't one way. So maybe some of them did come through the land bridge. Yeah. but I think there was a lot that were coming over by sea mm-hmm. as well. So, you know, these different uh, different migrations here. And I believe there's a lot of ancient people that were here that were here in North America long thousands of years before Columbus. I don't oh, know yeah. if you're fami- familiar <laughs> with the works of Bar- Barry Fell. Are you familiar no. with his mm. work? Oh, if okay. If you're into this kind of stuff, look up Barry Fell. Okay. He did uh, wrote a couple good books in the 70s and 80s. His first one was called America BC.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, America BC, and then he did another one, Bronze Age America, mm-hmm. and I think another one, Saga America. And he hmm. just compiled a lot of evidence here in North America of various ancient cultures traveling here: the Egyptians, the Celts, the Phoenicians. Mm. Um, Just a number of different ancient, ancient peoples here in North America.
0: Yeah, there's so many stories or so many people that say, no, there's nothing here before Columbus. Well, Columbus met people that were here.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, of of course. (laughs) Of course. And, you know, I'm in Kansas right now visiting my sister. And I I plan in a a few days to uh, go travel to Oklahoma. And there's a cave there called Anubis Cave. And this uh, cave was uh, kind of brought forth to the public, I think, in the early 70s. And there's all kinds of uh, writings in this cave, uh, these series of caves. Some of them, uh, there's one that looks like the god Anubis. Mm -hmm. Um, There's other like Celtic writing, um, a number of different, um, you know, things carved on the wall that looks like it comes from various cultures. And some of these symbols in the cave are astronomically aligned. So different times of the year the way the light will shine through the cave that will shine on these specific symbols. One of them being the, the God depicted in there as the Egyptian God uh, as Anubis. Oh, wow.
1: That's insane. Yeah. Cause I mean, <laughs> so cool, the
2: Egyptians,
0: man. okay. What was that? 5,000 years ago. Oh, longer Rough, than that. yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's like, it's obvious if they could do what they did, they would travel, you know, they wouldn't just stay yeah. in Egypt mm-hmm. and. Right. So yeah, there's I I it blows my mind when people say that there nothing was here before Columbus. I'm like, <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> Here's- have you heard of the Have you heard of the cocaine mummies? No. <laughs> okay, I talk about them in my book. I mention them in my book. Well, there was uh, some of these ancient uh, Egyptian mummies that were dis- uh, d- discovered to have found that there were uh, there was cocaine in their systems, and so. These are ancient mummies. So the only place at that time you could get cocaine was, uh, you know, was like South America. Yeah. Wow.
1: That's crazy. It's interesting. I saw something the other day that said Cleopatra is closer in time to our time now than the time that they built the pyramids. Oh, really? So just think of that in scope and scale of time is that, you know, the, the giant pyramids were built tens of thousands of yeah. years ago, not just like, you know, like a thousand mm-hmm. or 2000 years ago, like right. our, our normal yeah. our calendar. I just, that blew me away. I was mm-hmm. like watching this documentary about
2: Cleopatra. It wow, was very interesting, but. It sounds yeah. very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like the great Pyramids. There's like two over 2 million blocks, sandstone yeah. blocks. I think the smaller ones weigh about the size of an average car. Yeah. yeah. Right. You've got like two point something million blocks mm-hmm. that they, but supposedly they built, you know, dirt ramps and, 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 mm-hmm. and on, on sleds slid these these giant yeah. uh, you know, s- uh, sandstone blocks and, and built the pyramid. I, I don't know about that. Yeah. And
1: they were completely smooth. They had limestone that made all four sides completely mm-hmm. smooth.
0: Yeah. But mm.
1: in the t- course of time, it's worn away to the blocks yeah. that are there. I thought that was fascinating. Right. I had no idea.
0: And.
2: Yeah. And they're. Uh Did
0: you know, and this is kind of going back to the giant salsa.
1: Random facts.
0: (laughs) You know, we look at the pyramids and you think it's four-sided, but it's not. It's actually eight-sided. Because if you look straight down, they taper in a little bit to the center. So each each wall is tapered in a little bit, so it actually makes eight sides, which correlate exactly to the mounds down in Newark, Ohio, the great um, octagon mound. You can take the giant, the mate, the giant pyramid, and fit it in the Octagon Mound, and each point fits perfectly to the same that size. That is
2: really fascinating. I, which, I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, which goes back
0: to the giants, because you know the Native Americans talked about the mound builders, and they say yes. that the mound builders were giants, and they were there before them. They the Native Americans mm-hmm. didn't build the mounds; they just used them. That's
2: that's a really good point.
0: Yeah.
1: And there's mounds in Ohio where they went and started excavating the top layers down. And as they got, you know, down, they found Native American artifacts, but as they got lower and lower, they would start finding giant tools, like humongous tools Mm -hmm. that And skeletons. And skeletons, and then the government said, Well, you can't you can't dig anymore.
2: Right. (laughs) We need to have these answers. I know, and I and I talk about that uh, whole conundrum in my book. I mm-hmm. call uh, a chapter called the Smithsonian Gate, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I I kind of reference the old. Remember the first Indiana Jones movie at mm-hmm. the end of mm-hmm. it, where Indiana Jones is like, wh- "Where is the ark?" You know, after everything that had happened, mm-hmm. and and the guy and the government official tells them, "Well, we've got our top men working on it." And then the next scene flashes over to this giant warehouse yeah. mm-hmm. filled with thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of crates. And then it just shows them crating up the ark and and wheeling it to to be stacked in with all the other crates.
0: Yeah, because you can go to the Smithsonian today, and walk up and say, "Yeah, I'd like to see the giant skeleton bones that you guys collected," and they'll be like, mm, "What are you talking about?" But yeah. yet, yeah. every denial, account, denial, yeah, denial, yeah, every account you have reporters and people and all that telling that they find these skeletons, then giant skeletons in America that the officials come and check on. And then they never to be seen again.
2: Yeah, that's very true. In fact, in my book, there's an article in there, a newspaper article referencing uh, man. I think the title was man refuses to sell giant skull to Smithsonian. Mm -hmm. It was uh, in Arizona. This guy found it on his farm. He found this giant uh, skull and and, uh, this uh, skeletal remains. And the Smithsonian dispatched a couple of agents to go check this thing out they examined it take pictures of it and then they they try to procure it from this man Mm -hmm. they try to try to purchase it from and he says no i i'm not giving it to you and and that's what the article was about so here's where it gets interesting so the smithsonian says there's no such thing as giants and no giants have existed in north america then my goodness why are you sending out agents to go Mm -hmm. inspect an alleged giant discovery and then try to purchase it Mm -hmm. yeah
1: And who's to say that they didn't just come and take it, right? Uh,
2: Right.
0: I'm sure that, Oh well, we know that happened, you know, on different occasions. Yeah.
1: Just eminent domain. Mm -hmm. Which is great about,
0: you know, we we have a friend, Heather Arnold, who I'll give you some information about her after the show, but she Mm -hmm. talks a lot about the giants of Aruba and how it's completely different in Aruba Mm -hmm. because they don't hide it. She actually said that her grandmother's a giant, and wow. she does a lot of the research on that. And so, in mm-hmm. other countries, they are finding giants, and unlike the Smithsonian, they're not going and taking them.
1: Mm-hmm. There was yeah, that's um, a good point. Mm-hmm. There was a a gentleman who had found a giant skeleton and put it on display, and I can't remember where it was at, but it might have been in like ecuador or honduras or you know one of those south american type countries that sounds
2: familiar to me mm-hmm. i think it was ecuador yeah. and he
1: had a museum and he had it displayed and the government i can't remember the whole story but you know he was trying to say look these things are real and they shut them down or they um Mm-hmm. he disappeared or something along those lines. You know, so yeah. it's just very interesting. Why hide this stuff? It's our history. It's like, why would, you know, if you have dinosaur bones, why, why are we not hiding those? You yeah. know, that's like.
0: You know, and the thing is, we can see giants today. You know, because yes. when, when we're talking giants, we're not talking 40 foot, 30 foot. We're talking right 10 foot. We're talking 8 foot, 10 foot, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was at a diner here in town. And I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden this guy is in there and he, I snuck my phone out and took pictures of him, but he was so big. He had to like scrooch down just to get in and out of the doors. Wow. You know, and wow. then you see people like Andre the giant, or you see people you yeah. know, in basketball or these other, you know, there's stories of giants all over. If you just look, you know, 90% of your wrestlers would be considered giants in today's y- yeah. stand. You know?
2: So That's an interesting point.
0: And, you know, if we talk about double rows of teeth, six fingers, six toes, who's to say there wasn't an offshoot of the human race? Because we know that there were several different types of humanoids that they found over the years. You know, who's to say that there just wasn't another offshoot?
2: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I talk about that in my book as mm-hmm. well. Um, you you raised some great, uh, great topics of discussion in this area of giants when you were talking about the, uh, not only the, some of the giant size height that can be seen today, there are some people that are very large, um, but also there are still people, some people that have double rows of teeth, although it's, it's extremely rare, oh. um, that, that still exists. And mm-hmm. also, I think the extra digits on the hand, it's called polydactyly. That is still um, there are people that that do have extra digits. Now, when I was researching my book, there's actually a tribe in South America called the Wairani tribe, and they have high incidences of both double rows of teeth and extra digits on the hand, Yeah, which I found were very interesting. Now, the, the tribe itself are not giant in height. But they are a very violent society hmm. they're, a, they're a tribal society, and mm-hmm. many of the young, many of the men don 't live to be very old uh, because they're they 're killed off in this tribal warfare. So there are some commonalities as far as with the violent traits and with the uh, the double rows of teeth and the extra digits on the on the hand and The question is could could some of these these odd traits in our genetics could they have come originally from the giants, yeah
0: mm-hmm. I mean who's to say that the giants and the I'll just say humanoids, you know, for just a for talk purposes, but how do we know they just didn't interbreed, you know? I mean, they may not have died off like the giants in Lovelock Cave, but yes. who knows, they could have just bred out where, you know, after years of I, I breeding they just
2: Yeah. I think you're onto something. Have you heard of the Denisovans? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and I write about them in my mm-hmm. book, and they're a good example of that, this a- ancient uh, species of us, subspecies of us that was discovered in 2010, some of the first bone fragments uh, in Siberia. A giant tooth was found twice the size of a normal tooth. Mm-hmm. a knuckle bone, and there were some artifacts in there, a, a stone bracelet that had eight millimeter holes drilled into it, oh. which is astonishing because it was dated back about 40,000 years ago yeah. to have that kind of technology is, is pretty phenomenal. And then recently a full skull, a Denisovan skull was found in China called, they call it Homo Longi or dragon skull. Have you heard about that? No. Yes, I did. I haven't. Yeah. Okay yes so this is a very interesting subject uh when you're talking about well could the giants have been just another species that interbred with you know interbred with us and that were not we're, uh, kind of bred out so to speak and the denisovans sound like they could be a good candidate for that because now they have this skull it's a it's a giant skull you could look it up online it's a massive skull i actually have a replica of it back at back at home if i had it with me i'd i'd show it to you on mm-hmm. camera but it's a it's a football shape skull and it had a a massive uh just a massive skull large eye sockets and a very protruding brow ridge to it wow and what's interesting is researchers are saying now that based on the 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 skull and the other bone fragments of of this other uh, subspecies that they the average height could have been seven and a half feet tall Mm. from these these peoples and there's evidence that they interbred with the neanderthals and they interbred with our ancient ancestors. So again, it goes back to the topic you brought up of this interbreeding, Mm -hmm. intermixing of these different species, creating hybrids. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Because we think of the tribes and all that as, you know, when we look back at the Dennis Evans or Dennis Oval, whichever you look back at those and you think, well, history tells us that they were always warring and always fighting each other. But back then you almost had to rely on your neighbors and get together with people because you were all trying to live off the land and stuff and yes, for them to be like a constantly killing each other off. I don't believe that. I believe that they did talk and they did trade and all that. And then they would get together with each other and interbreed.
2: I follow along your, your lines of Mm -hmm. thinking and and you bring up a great point because most of us in our DNA, most of us have Neanderthal DNA unless you're a direct, a Descendant out of Africa, you will have Neanderthal DNA, which is proof that there was a lot of these in this interbreeding going on. Mm-hmm.
1: There was, um, did you ever see that documentary about the Russian woman who was, uh, like I want to say like 50% Neanderthal? Like her father was like full, like one of the last, I want to say, um, fully. You know that species mm-hmm. it was really interesting if you ever get a chance to like go down the rabbit I, hole I, that,
2: that's, that's ringing a bell now now this is fairly uh recent right are yes. we talking about the last 40 yeah, or 50 years so yeah i have heard about
1: lived that. in like probably was probably born in the eight, late 1800s and lived into the mm-hmm. maybe the 10s or the 20s or something into the forties and fifties, I would think, but it was, it was a very interesting documentary because of um, the amount of Neanderthal that she had, you know, in Mm -hmm. her genetic makeup was more than Mm -hmm. I think anybody had, you know, been known to have, which was interesting. So, you know, I don't know if she lived in Siberia or not, but it it was somewhere, you know, very remote in Russia.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. I, I have heard of that before. I, I've not really uh, investigated that too deeply, but mm-hmm. that would be a, a really interesting story to just do some back research. Wouldn't it be amazing if, if uh, you know, paleontologists were able to go in and do some testing perhaps on her bones now? I, I don't think that would be possible, but if they could mm-hmm. and really do an in-depth analysis of yeah. her DNA.
1: Yeah, and they, you know, the, it was a PBS program. So, um, okay. you know, if you ever, you know, or up at 3 o'clock in the morning going down the rabbit hole right. like I do. That's, that's me. That's me. No, so. so let's talk a little bit about the connection of um, the possibility of these red-haired giants maybe being a Sasquatch.
2: Think, yeah, um, do I you mean. Do you
1: think that they were maybe interbred with a Sasquatch? Uh, I mean, to have the red hair?
2: I'm not oh. sure I would I would not rule the possibility out uh, oh. in the areas where I live in, in Washington and right across the river is Oregon. Mm-hmm. Those are hot spots for for Sasquatch Bigfoot sightings. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because I've re- now ran into three people within the past six months that have had personal encounters being a Bigfoot. Really? Uh, one of one of them was a paleontologist. And he was out with a research team. Uh, he he actually works at the uh, North American Bigfoot Museum in Boring, Oregon. Oh,
1: okay. And I had
2: a conversation with him, and he was with some other researchers, and they saw a group of Sasquatch, a female. Oh. She had breasts, uh-huh. and she, and there, she was with some of her young. Oh, that's and, so cool. Uh, I was amazed. I was amazed to hear this this gentleman's. Um, you know, description of, of his encounter. And then another, another man is one of my neighbors, uh, an older guy uh, Mm -hmm. named Andy. And I always see him walking around the neighborhood with his dogs. And I always talk to him. And one day he asked me, it was on a weekend. He goes, Floyd, how's your weekend going? I said, Oh, it's great. Andy. I took my boys to the North American Bigfoot museum in boring Oregon. And when I said Bigfoot, his eyes get really big and he he goes, Bigfoot, he goes, Bigfoot. He goes, I've had two encounters with Bigfoot In Washington over, um, you know, not too, you know, not too far from here. Mm -hmm. And and I was just like, what? Like (laughs) like, in the Bonneville area of of Washington. And Mm -hmm. and I'm like, are you serious? And he goes, yeah. And so he starts going telling me this detailed account. and I said, has anyone ever documented this? And he said, well, I called into coast to coast years ago. And I was on hold. I was was on hold waiting to talk to George Norrie. And he goes, I got cut off and I never got a chance to talk to him. And I said, well, you know, I said, would you mind, could I bring my laptop over to your place one of these times and sit down with you and document those encounters? And he said, absolutely. So I had the opportunity to do that. I sat there for several hours with him uh, on both of those encounters. And the first encounter, he saw it and is it with his grandson and another friend of his. And the second time it was w- with uh, him and his grandson. Mm. Very, very detailed accounts and listening to him re re recount these experiences i could i could i could see the emotions and mm-hmm. hear the emotions come out in his words and his body language mm-hmm. so he yeah. totally everything he was telling me like he believed that this is what happened yeah, yeah.
1: and that's a great part about interviewing somebody face to face or in person because you can get a sense of you know your bs meter pretty yeah. much goes off right like yeah. um right. we've been doing this a long time so you know we've we've interviewed people that have had very detailed accurate you know encounters with ghosts or whatever mm-hmm. they were encounters mm-hmm. and we've had some that just you know not so much yeah <laughs> but
0: but like you said you could tell you can yeah. feel it you can yeah. see it in their eyes, in their, in their body, you know, how they move and
2: stuff. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like an energy you can pick up on the emotion and it's like, wow, this, and in fact, when I was interviewing him, his daughter uh, came out to the, the back deck where we were and she told me, she was listening to us and she goes, Floyd, she goes, my dad's his personality changed after that first encounter. Oh, when wow. he came back home, mm-hmm. he, it, he changed like, and she's like, I'm totally serious. Like he was different.
0: Now on a side note, when mm-hmm. you were talking to him, did he mention anything that happened to him other than Bigfoot
2: encounters? Like, he, you know, he, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Cause like afterwards. Okay. He, yes, he, um, what he was telling me, one, one thing I did document um he said that he felt like I think it was during the the second encounter he said he felt like something was like getting inside of his mind mm-hmm. he said um like trying it was almost trying i don't know if it was trying to communicate or or kind of manipulate things he said he used the term it was almost like a magician okay like oh, he yeah. said i felt some outside force yeah trying to trying to you know, manipulate, trying to access my mind.
0: Yeah, because the reason I bring that up is because that's exactly what popped into my head. Was we hear of so many encounters where people will see a Bigfoot, and they'll have encounters of shadow figures. They'll have encounters of like you said, mm-hmm. where they feel that the even on their like his second in second, you know, time he saw him, it's almost like they can communicate telepathically, mm-hmm. or. They're not really telepathic. They're more of like um, infrasound, infrasound yeah. like the whales do and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. people will say that. And lots of times when people are making up stories of Bigfoot, they won't say stuff like that.
1: Right.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm.
2: that's a good point. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. So could the question is, you know, could the giants be some descendant of of these uh, of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch? I'm not ruling that out either because mm-hmm. just about every Native American tribe, they will talk about, you know, the Sasquatch, the Bigfoot, and they they will refer to them differently. Like some tribes will say they're they're like the old ancestors. Mm-hmm. They will look at them like as ancestors and other tribes might view them more as like the red-haired giants, more um, you know, more like uh, maybe uh, violent or something, you know, that they, their, their tribes had conflict with. So yeah. it's, you know, it's different depending upon the tribe and the, and the locality. Yeah.
1: Have there been reports of these red hair giants, any other areas other than the Lovelock or Nevada area?
2: Well, I did come across some articles uh, researching old Giant skeleton discoveries, mm-hmm. and there was a, an, an explorer back in the 30s and 40s. He was kind of an Indiana Jones type. His name was Paxton Hayes, mm-hmm. and he was into researching um, ancient cultures. and He discovered some giant skeletons in Mexico. Uh-huh. and In this one article, it talks about uh, a site in a cave where he discovered blonde haired giants. Oh. And they were large, eight feet mm-hmm. tall giants. And he said they had uh, artifacts, strange writing that he couldn't he couldn't decipher what it was. And he said within the caves, he said there was like almost like these dome shaped shelters. And he said they were almost like mosques, oh. which is really unusual. That is strange. I
1: mean, there's been reports of um, um, the Nordics. They call them the Nordics. It's uh, an yes. alien race? Yeah, but you follow are...
2: and you follow it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the tall whites. I talk yeah. about yeah. them in my mm-hmm. book as well. Yep, the tall whites. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of things that we want. I mean, I've, your book just covers so many different things. And um, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately,
2: Also the little people too. Yeah. Yes. But
0: unfortunately, we're running out of time, so... <sighs> Um, yeah. I want to have you back on. Yeah, we'd love to. I would love to come back. I on. want to talk so about so much the, more to talk about the uh, elongated skulls, which we haven't even covered yet. Oh yeah, and the little people. You know the the like we were talking about Egyptian writing and stuff, and mm-hmm. there's just so much. You when you start reading your book, like I unfortunately I don't have a copy, so I I looked at different interviews and that you were on. Yeah. And, while I'm listening to you do other interviews, all these things are going on in my mind and all these rabbit holes. It's like, <laughs> I know, up I can night. imagine when you wrote this book, you were like, no focus, focus. <laughs> yeah,
2: Four years of research. Oh and, my you gosh. know, I, and you know, I did, I did answer maybe a few questions that I had before I started writing the book, but now I have a lot more questions than even when I started. Mm-hmm.
1: That's the interesting thing about when you're in, what we call the paranormal, right? Like which encompasses many, many different subjects, but there's more questions than answers. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And the more you know, the less you know. Yeah. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. But Floyd, we want to thank you for coming on. This yes. is so interesting. And yes, please let's have another show where yes. we can talk about the schedule something.
2: Yeah, I would absolutely love it. It's been just a really fun interview. Mm-hmm. Um just a very interesting, uh, fantastic questions. Great. Um, and I, yeah, I've I've had a, a, a lot of fun being on your show and I want to thank you again for having me on and thanks to your audience for for taking the time and energy to tune into these interesting subjects.
1: Yeah. And if anybody wanted to get a copy of your, of your book or, uh, follow you, where would they go?
2: Yeah. So I do have a website. It's at, uh, theancientgiants.com, And there's a lot more information on my background and the research I do. And there's a page on there that has a chapter breakdown on what's in my book, if you're interested in purchasing it. And then I also have a bunch of links on there to pot- other podcasts that I've done about the giants and the little people, ancient, mm-hmm. uh, technology, um, also, as well, if you want to purchase my book, I would encourage you to go to bookbaby.com and they have a bookshop there and you can get my book there. Right. Uh, and I, I love Book Baby because they're real supportive of, of self-published authors mm-hmm. like myself. And so I would appreciate if people go there. But I'm also on Amazon as well. If you want, okay. if you want to go to Amazon, my book's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Great.
1: And we'll all put right. a link in the show notes for all our listeners to go and buy the book. Yes,
0: because... <laughs> I'm telling you, if you are interested in any of these topics, you've got to pick up Floyd's book. It's it's, from, like I said, unfortunately, I don't have a copy, but I've done a lot of research of you this week. And it's just mind blowing the stuff that's in that book. Yeah, it's
1: great. Well, thank you so much. Very interesting information. And
0: we want to thank our listener for tuning in this week. Like we always say, please head up on our website. We have a lot of links going on up there. I am updating the website. We have a lot of live events that we are going to be at. Just check it out there. And always remember, please hit that subscribe button. Please leave us a five-star rating or review. It really means a lot. And with that, Jen, do you have anything else you'd like to say for the week?
1: Uh, Just thanks to Floyd for coming on. I learned a little bit more, and um, now I have 47 rabbit holes to go down, and I'll be up all night. (laughs) No, we appreciate you coming on and and can't wait to have you you. back.
2: All right. Oh, I, I look forward to coming back.
0: All right. Thank you. Thank you. And we will talk yeah, to you later. Thank you. And thank you, listener, for tuning in this week. We will talk to you next week with another exciting show. Thank you. Goodbye.